And now uh, we want to continue. Um, our next speaker here is uh, Jim Ertle. He is the Director of Partner Relations uh, Publications, but he also teaches an elective course on the family in, uh, at CBC. And um, he is a great fatherly figure in my life and to many of the students here. And uh, he's just going to minister to you on uh, being a leader in your home, I believe is what he said today. So here's Jim Ertle. Thank you. Hey, thanks, big guy. I'm so thankful that uh, Arthur mentioned this morning that it's never too late, no matter how old you are. You know, I just turned 62 recently. I know I don't look it, but... No, I just turned 62. And I feel like my life is just starting. It's just beginning. <clears throat> and the things that God wants to do through me and people like you is not limited by our age or our circumstance. I was glad to hear that... Uh, let's see, Moses was... Uh, how old when he uh, went back and began to uh, lead the children of Israel out? 80? I'm 20 years younger than him. So I got a good start on him, don't I? So praise God. It's never too late. You know, I want to talk about leadership in the home, but I think it's important that you at least know something about me. How many people know me here? A few. <clears throat> My wife and I have been married for 43 years. And I have, in fact, uh, 43 years this coming Monday. So we're going to celebrate our 43rd anniversary. And I have no intentions of trading her in on a couple of 20s. I'm very content with this wife of 43 years. And, you know, gravity has affected both of us a little bit over time. But it doesn't matter because the relationship that we have now is deeper than this surface, than this skin. And it's a rich relationship that has been born out of a lot of memories, struggles, pain. And I don't mean in our marriage. I just mean in going through the process of life. Things come at you, don't they? You know, there are things that come. And if you can come through those and come out the other side in love with your wife, you become inseparable. It's like superglue. Nothing can tear that apart when you go through a struggle together. I remember years ago, I decided to go into the furniture business because I was young. You know, Barry, you went on the mission field. I went in the furniture business. And uh, I really didn't consult Shirley all that much. I just thought I knew and who would know better than me, right? And, And she's a wonderful person, just like your wife, and she was willing to follow me into that. To make a long story short, I lost our home and the business both. But instead of having a wife that came to me and could have complained and murmured and judged me and condemned me, which I deserved. There was no doubt that I deserved it. Instead, she just came to me and said, well, honey, what do you think we ought to do next? There's nothing sweeter than a woman who can forgive her husband. What a neat thing. And what a way to cement your marriage when you go through things like that. Well, it took us one or two years to recover from that. Probably closer to a decade. It seems like in life, when you make a major decision and it's a major mistake, it seems like sometimes it takes a decade to get through it all and get back where you were. Any of you relate to that? It just takes time to recover. 
You're a lot better off if you listen to God on the front end and plan long term. (laughs) Rather than short term to fulfill a desire that may not necessarily be from God. That makes sense to you all? Proverbs 29.2 says this. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. You are the righteous. We are the righteous. If there's any place where the righteous need to rule, and I mean in the right way, which I'll explain, it's in the home today. We need leadership in the homes. The homes in America, generally speaking, are in trouble. And I would venture to say there are some sitting right here that are facing that now with their wife and with their kids and so forth. And the world is really crying out for leadership in the home. And God has given us the authority and the responsibility as men to walk that out. We don't have to wonder if we can. We can because he lives in us. Now, it's going to be imperfect. And as Arthur said, we get some mulligans along the way. Don't we? We get a little extra shot now and then. And what's interesting is if we will be transparent and if we'll be honest with our family, they will forgive us most anything. But seldom are we like that. Our pride gets in the way. Our ego gets in the way. And that's not what God wants for us. You know, women are looking, wives are looking for their husbands to man up. You know, I teach uh, in my class here and have a lot of young people in there. And I talk to a lot of these young girls who are looking for a husband. And I I hate to say this, and I'm not making a broad stroke about all young men, because I don't believe that for a minute. We have a lot of great young men in this ministry and in the school. However, I often hear from them, where are the men? There are a bunch of wimps, a bunch of wusses. Where are the real, why won't they man up and be a man? I'm telling you, our wives and the young women want to see that in men. They want us to man up. Uh, Our children are looking for somebody who will bring guidance, who will guard them, who will govern them, who will protect them. If you were to talk to prisoners in jails today, you would find out that most male prisoners love their mother and hate their father. Why do you suppose that is? Because they intuitively know their father could have prevented them from being there. If he would have been present or if he'd have led them in some way, they may not be there and they blame their dad for that. Seldom do they ever blame their mother. It's because children intuitively know that it is the man who should be leading spiritually in the home. And there's so many fatherless people out there today that are looking for men like you who will, you know, take up uh, arms and help them. Uh, Young kids who don't have fathers need our help. There's no doubt about that. You know, um, let me just give you a statistic that might surprise you a little bit. I'm going to give you several statistics about homes that do not have husbands and fathers in them. Uh, I think some of them might shock you. Maybe some of you know about them. Let me just give you one simple one. Where men are the spiritual leaders in the home, where they take that role seriously, not perfectly, seriously. You understand the difference? It's not about perfection. It's not about performance. It's about understanding your role and responsibility and walking in that to the best of your ability according to the word of God. But the men who will do that, here's the statistic. 93% of the time, this came from, uh, let's see, promise keepers in the 1990s when they did a survey to figure out some of this stuff. They said that 93% of the time 
When the father leads, the children will follow his lead spiritually. They'll attend church. They'll accept Jesus as their savior. Whatever it might be, they'll follow him. If the mother is the leader, even if the father is in the house, but he's passive, you know, that's my home. That's what my home was like. My dad wasn't a Christian. My mother was. She was the spiritual leader. In homes where the woman is the spiritual leader, children will follow their mother 17% of the time. The other 83% are still following their dad down the wrong path. That's the power that we as men have in the family. We cannot ignore that or deny it. It's true. God has given it to us. We, as soon as we got married, the moment we got married, the moment we decided to have children, we gave up our right to be selfish. Think about that. You gave it up. You can no longer live a self-centered life. You have others that are more important than you. Let me give you a couple of other little statistics here that are kind of interesting. <clears throat> At least I think they are. Fatherless children are 11 times more likely than our children from intact families to exhibit violent behavior. Now, by the way, these statistics aren't something a bunch of Christians made up. These come from the National Center of Health Statistics. So these are national figures. You know, the federal government's done a lot of studies on fatherless homes, and it's the biggest tragedy in America, even for the secularists. The secularists believe that very same thing. 80% of adolescents in psychiatric hospitals come from fatherless homes. Compared to girls raised in homes where both parents are present, the daughters of single parents are 164% more likely to become pregnant before marriage. It's a big number, isn't it? Compared to girls raised in homes where both parents are present, 92% are more likely to dissolve their own marriages. Now, here's a really big one. The absence of a biological father increases by 900% a daughter's vulnerability to rape and sexual abuse. Often these assaults are committed by stepfathers or the boyfriends of custodial mothers. When men leave their wives who have daughters, they are opening their daughter up to a 900% more chance of being abused. I mean, this stuff is staggering. It is no small thing to have a family. It is no small consideration. So many families, you know, if you read Mark 4:19, it says this. <clears throat> and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things... Entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Today, families are being sacrificed. I'm not pointing the finger. Nobody get mad at me, okay? But families are being sacrificed by men on the altars of the cares of the world, the lust of the flesh, and the deceitfulness of riches. In other words, self-centered lives. That's how they're being sacrificed. And by the time they find out about it, when the kids are 18 or 19 or 20 and they're out of control, uh, they try to jump in and solve the problem. It just doesn't work that way. You know, it was uh, Lenin, the father of the Communist Party, who said this, and he's not the only one. He said, give me a child till they're six and I'll have them for life. You can't be an absentee father. You have to be there. 
and your wife needs you just as well. God has designed us for leadership. He's done it. He's put it in us. We carry weight better than women do. I am not in any way belittling or uh, uh, devaluing women. We have a different role than they have. It's just that simple. Our role is different. God designed us differently. He designed us to carry weight, to carry responsibility. You know, I think of times when I've given Shirley, I've asked her to do certain things, and, and, and she's been willing to do it, even though it's out of her gifting and calling and so forth. And I begin to see her get stressed, almost in tears sometimes, over certain things in the past. And when I would take that responsibility back, she was a different woman. I began to realize what was an easy thing for me and seemed insignificant to her was a big deal. When she was paying some of the bills when money was tight and she would struggle with which bill to pay and not pay, it was, it was sucking the joy out of her life. As soon as I took that back, to me it was just an easy decision. It was no big deal. I just did it and forgot about it. You know, if the, if the creditor called, it, it was, you know, I'll get past this. For surely that would have been a, a night's sleep that she would have lost. And when I took that back from her, she became a new person. She didn't have to think about that anymore. She wasn't designed to carry that. I was. So we have responsibilities that we're designed to carry. Let me tell you something that leadership in the family is not. There's three things that it is not. It is not domination. It is not intimidation. And it is not manipulation. All three of those are shortcuts of the flesh to accomplish the purposes that need to be accomplished in the family. You know, sometimes we will default to being dominating with our children or our wife, to intimidating them and even manipulating them so that we can get a point across and go do what it is that we want to do. You know, the football game is pretty important. The Super Bowl is coming up. Would we dare sacrifice that to deal with one of our kids? Wouldn't it be easier just to dominate them and tell them no and put them in the corner and leave them? (laughs) We can do that real easy, can't we, guys? Leadership is instilling vision, virtue, and value. Proverbs 29.18 says this, Where there is no revelation, where there is no vision, my people perish, or they are unrestrained, or they run wild. You show me a child who's running wild who was unrestrained, and I'll show you a child who has no vision. Show me a man who is running that kind of a life, and I'll show you a man who has no real vision or purpose in his life. When there is not vision, you will default to the flesh. It's vision that pulls you and draws you and moves you towards something, and that then constrains your behavior. Vision is one of the most powerful constraints of behavior on the planet because you become totally involved in what it is God has called you to do. And that is fun, a lot of fun. You know, as I have gotten older, I have noticed that the things of this world are growing strangely dim. Have you heard that before? I was talking to Barry about this yesterday. And I said, Barry, do you think it's because we're getting older? Do you, Greg, you think it's because we're getting older? <laughs> we're not sure if that's the case or not. Maybe it is. But it's as though the more you get involved in, in what God is doing, and you're part of something that, that's visionary, that's affecting the lives of people, there's not a whole lot out here that can pull you 
away from that. If you're having trouble with some of the, the things of the flesh, which we'll talk about in a little bit, start thinking vision and watch what that does to you. Part of leadership is instilling that vision in the hearts of our wives and our kids. And it's encouraging virtue in the process, doing it the right way. Honesty, integrity, all of those kinds of things are instilled along the path. And attributing value to what they do. Vision, virtue, and value. That's leadership. Now I'm going to give you seven quick things. This won't take all day. I promise you it won't take all day. I'll do it fast. I'm going to give you seven things uh, that really, I think, uh, demonstrate leadership within the family. Now these are a tad bit idealistic I understand that. Uh, We are imperfect people. None of us do all of this stuff. Uh, I am not thinking legalistically when I give these to you at all. They are just uh, an attitude to have, a way of thinking, as Barry said, the correct way of thinking that will help you in your families. The first one is leadership is exhibiting unconditional love. Well, there's not a one of us on the planet who can exhibit perfect unconditional love. But it's a beginning if you think like that. Start thinking about loving despite somebody's behavior or actions, whether it's your wife or your children or who it may be. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says this. For the love of Christ constrains us. Isn't that interesting? It's the love of Christ that constrains us. It's the goodness of God that draws men to him. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's the issue right there. Who are we living for? But for him who died for them and rose again. 1 Peter 4, 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. I am sick and tired of doing the will of the Gentiles. How about you guys? I get caught up in the flesh sometime, and I just want to, you know, punch myself in the nose if I could. Maybe I can. Uh, But I am just tired of living a life that isn't a life consumed by the things of God. I don't want to go there anymore. It's boring after a while. It's never fulfilling. The flesh never says enough. There's nothing that you're involved in, no matter what it is, that will ever fulfill like a vision from God will fulfill your life. And we need a vision for our families. We need to lead in our families. The best example of that is Jesus. Philippians 2.6 Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. So what was Jesus? Number one, he was a servant. Number two, he was humble. And number three, he was obedient. What would happen in our families if we decided to lay our life down for them? What would change if it became about serving them and blessing them? What would happen if we became humble in everything that we did? That we became transparent. And it was no longer about what we want, but about what they need and what would fulfill their lives. 
My goodness, does that change a family in a hurry. How many saw Fireproof the movie? I mean, that was a pretty good example. The 40-day dare. Laying your life down for somebody else produces results. That's what Jesus did. He laid his life down. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. But it produces results. Leadership means guiding and guarding and governing. That's the second thing. Guiding is like leading the blind. What do you do when you guide somebody? You take them up the curb and say, there's a curb here. It's about a foot high. There's a pothole right over here. There's a little ledge here. There's a cliff here. Here comes the door. Let me open it. Okay, just walk through here. In about four more steps, we're going to go left. Guiding is guiding somebody. It's leading them down the path. That's what we need to do with our children, for example. Guiding is hands-on. A blind person can't be guided by your words, you know, on the third story up. You need to be down there with them, holding their hand and guiding them. And that's what our family needs from us. They need to be guided. And they need to be protected and have security, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. It's easy for most of us to guard our family physically. We just kind of naturally do that as men. Don't you agree with that? We just sort of know to do that. No one's going to bother our wife. No one's going to bother our kids physically. We're not going to allow it. But what about uh, emotionally? How many times have you let your wife get beat up emotionally and not taken up a case for her and defended her? I've done it before. I'm never doing it again. In our family, uh, Shirley's sister, oh, this is going over the internet, isn't it? I better be careful. Anyway, uh, (laughs) we did have a situation. Uh, I got myself in trouble now, didn't I? I can't believe I just said that. Nonetheless, it was a, yeah, edit that out, would you? There was a situation that uh, a member of her family, uh, through a lot of circumstances, was pretty rude to her over a long period of time. And I dismissed it because of that person's own family circumstances. And finally, I realized this is having more of an effect on Shirley than it should and that I should allow. And I stepped in and made a decision, and I told this person, um, it's the last time. If you ever do it again, I'm going to address it right there. If there's 50 people in the room, I'm going to address it right then. And that person has never said another word. I should have done that years ago and have protected her emotionally. That's part of what uh, protection is. And then spiritually protected our family. Praying for them, interceding for them. If they're sick, praying for them. All the things that go along with the the spiritual facets of life. That's part of what we do when we're guiding and guarding and governing. And then in, in governing, we need to become the peacemakers. Those who bring reconciliation to the family. You know, not only are we ambassadors of Christ to bring people to him, to the knowledge of God... But we are ambassadors of Christ in our home, and we often forget that. We are his ambassador to our wife and our children. And we can bring reconciliation between them and God. In fact, here's another statistic for you. About 70% of everybody who comes to Jesus comes to Jesus through their family members, primarily their mother and their dad. You know that only 1% come to Jesus through media? We're so big on media, but only 1% come to Jesus through media and about 3% through churches. All of the rest of them, it's a personal encounter with parents, aunts, or uncles, somebody very, very close. That's why we are the ambassadors in the family. 
You can't abdicate that responsibility. You cannot outsource that responsibility. It's yours. You can't give it to the pastor, the youth leader, the children's uh, director, anybody like that. You have to hold that close. It's your job and it's your responsibility. <clears throat> Here's a big one that I'm going to get into. Leadership means dealing with personal temptation. Imagine this for a moment, if you will. It's Saturday night. It's 11.30 at night. Your kids are in bed. Your wife's asleep. You're all alone, but you're not sleepy. You've had a really bad week. Or two. Or three. You haven't been in the Word of God. You haven't been praying in tongues. You just haven't been doing any of that stuff. And uh, you feel the pull. You know, that fifth of scotch looks pretty good. Which you can never stop at one glass. You've got to drink the whole thing. <clears throat> or perhaps uh, you've got a joint in the drawer. You know, that you can pull out at night and nobody will know any of that kind of stuff, right? Or maybe there's a little cocaine you've got hidden away someplace. Or maybe the internet's pulling you. Drawing you. Now's your opportunity. Who's ever going to know? All of those things begin to pull and draw. And you know what's wrong. You know where it's going to take you. You know you're going to end up drunk or high or in the midst of something you shouldn't be doing. What do you do then? We often hear everybody say, well, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But what if you don't want to? What if you want to fulfill the lust of the flesh? Because you know you're under grace. Right? You're walking in grace. What's the big deal? You don't feel like it. You don't want to fight. You don't want to read the word. You don't want to stand. What do you do? I used to ask myself that question all the time. The word says this. I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I want to read this. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.34. Out of weakness, we are made strong. 2 Corinthians 12.10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. Paul was talking about Christ's sake, but the same principle applies. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How in that moment of weakness do we step out of that position? I used to ask God about that. I'm guilty of things as well. We are all guilty of moments. Anybody here that isn't, anybody like me that maybe once in a while gets pulled in that position and, uh, and you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. You know? <laughs> I'm just saying, has anybody been there besides me? Okay. And I said, Father, how in the world can I get out of that position when I don't want to? And the Lord gave me a little key. Now this is, Gymology, not G-Y-M, J-I-M. This is gymology, and I can't necessarily prove this, but maybe one of our Bible guys can. And the Lord gave me an idea. He said, just do this. He said, give me five or ten seconds. And I thought, well, I can certainly do that. So when a temptation like that used to come, I would just go, okay, you got about ten seconds, and I'm going to be in the middle of what I shouldn't be in the middle of. And I would go like this. Close my eyes, and even right now, this minute, the presence of God starts to come on me. I can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, a wave coming over me, just by doing this. And when you start feeling the presence of God come over you, your mind changes. 
You can't keep your mind on what you had it on when God begins to fill you like that. When you feel that presence, it changes your thinking. And I would stay like this, and I would feel the presence of God, and it felt so good, I didn't want to leave. And pretty soon, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about him, my relationship with him. And this thing that was pulling me so hard, I look at it and go, you got to be kidding. What was I thinking? In my weakness, God delivered me. Not by anything I did, not by works, not by study, not by arguing with the enemy. He delivered me by his power in spite of me. And I am telling you, that is power. That will set you free. I'm not sure that will work for you, but there is something that will work for you because the Bible tells us God will give us a way of escape. There is always a way of escape if you want it. If you want to be kept by God, he will keep you. If you don't want to be kept, there's not a thing he can do about it. But if in your heart of hearts you want to be kept, God will give you a way of escape. Part of it is through 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's just not get to that point if we can do it. And let's bring our thoughts captive quickly. That's the best way to do that from my position. Let me tell you something, guys. These vices, things like I just mentioned and more, these are not nice little pets down here by our feet. This isn't your little collie down here that makes you feel good once in a while. These are, the, these are the things that will absolutely destroy your soul. I'm not legalistic about this. As soon as you start thinking that you're going to stop these things through self-discipline and self-control, you're self-deceived. You can't do it. Self-discipline and self-control are fruits of the Spirit. They are not roots of the Spirit. And you might for a while be a really disciplined person and control a behavior. I mean, it could even be overeating for that matter. You might be able to control that for a while, but sooner or later, in a weak moment, you are going to default to that desire. There's only one thing that will deliver you, and it's the spirit and the power of God. That's where you go for deliverance, not self-discipline, not self-control. How are we doing so far? Doing good? All righty. <clears throat> The fourth thing is leadership means loving your children's mother. <gasps> Big one, huh? You need to love your children's mother. You know, I fell in love with Shirley when I was 13 years old. I really did. It sounds silly, but I did. At a little uh, outing in the mountains, I was going to throw a water balloon at her, and she told me not to, and I didn't, and she still tells me not to, and I don't. And uh, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> And my heart jumped, and I fell in love with that girl, and I started pursuing her at that moment, and it took her a little longer to see the light. But eventually, she did, and we married, which was a good thing. But loving your children's mother. I remember when our kids were teenagers, there were times when they'd come in the kitchen, and I would be kissing Shirley passionately. And Jeremy would say, get a room, Dad. And uh, I used to laugh and kiss her anyway. And uh, you know what I learned out of all that? My kids want to know that I'm in love with their mother. They love the fact that we love each other. It brings them security knowing that we love each other and that it's obvious to them. 
And uh, it was a, a special thing that they teased us about all the time, but they would never have wanted us to stop. There's nothing better than loving their mother. Ephesians 5, 31, 32 says this. <clears throat> For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That means to cleave to her. And you know what cleave means? Pursue hard after. Men do the pursuing, not women. In my class, I teach that to a lot of these young girls. And those of you who have young daughters, you need to teach that as well. God designed it for men to do the pursuing, not the women. Our culture has begun to reverse that in a big way. And it's making women the aggressors, and they are becoming nothing more than pawns for the men. What man is going to chase a woman who will lay herself down for him? As fathers, we need to begin to instill these kinds of virtues in our children. It's part of your responsibility. And to defend your daughters against anybody who would even consider compromising them. And if we will love our daughters and our granddaughters the way they are to be loved, show them the affection that they are to receive, there's no young boy out there that can steal their heart. Most women will give up what men want because they need affection and love. And if we as fathers and grandfathers will do that, they don't need that. Sex is not for them affection and love. It's what they give to get it. Understand that, guys? <clears throat> it's important to understand also. Let me read the rest of that scripture. Uh, be joined to your wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I speak concerning Christ and the church. How many know in here that marriage between a husband, I mean a man and a woman, uh, is the equivalent or is, is like Christ and the church, the bride and the groom? You all have heard that many, many times, have you not? Anytime you want to know how your marriage should operate, study Jesus Christ and the church. Anytime you want to know about Jesus Christ and the church, study marriage. They are almost interchangeable in the word of God. It's a tremendous example for us. When you read scriptures like, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, Ephesians 5.22, <clears throat> what do we think of that as men? Why should any woman submit to us? What right do we have for anybody to submit to us? Well, the word of God says they should. Yeah, well, what have you done to be deserving of that? Does Jesus force the body of Christ to submit to him? Why does anybody submit to Jesus? Why do you do it? Because you believe he has your absolute best interest in mind. Because he has laid his life down for you. And he is here to serve you humbly in your life. That's what Jesus did. What woman would not follow her husband who would lay his life down for her? And make sure that her life is fulfilled in every way. Now submission becomes natural. It becomes godly. It is not forced. You can't demand one ounce of submission from your wife. It is a voluntary process on her part. And you have to earn that right. That's pretty strong, huh? We think it comes because the word of God says it. It comes when you start treating your wife like Jesus treats the church. Women will follow that, I guarantee you. For the husband is the head of the wife, and also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. You know, if we want to be the head of the wife and they want to submit to us, then we have to be the savior of the body. And you know what the savior of the body means if you look at that up? It means provider of absolutely everything. If you're not providing what they need, 
then who are you to be submitted to? Number five, leadership means forgiveness. Boy, this is a big one. Giving your children and your wife the right to make mistakes. You know, Shirley has given me a lot of room to make mistakes. And I've given her room as well. And I'll tell you what, we are far from perfect (laughs) in our marriage. We are very far from perfect. There are no perfect marriages. But once you're committed for life and there's no way out except death, I don't know if Shirley's ever considered that or not. I don't think she has. But when there's no other way out, you find a way to work it out. There is a way to have that love restored between the two of you. There really is. Give room for each other to make mistakes. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says this. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I talked about this a while ago. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses. If God isn't imputing our trespasses to us, why are we imputing them to our wife and children? Just a question. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We need to have a ministry of reconciliation and forgiveness within our family. How many times are we supposed to forgive? In each day. 70 times 7. Has anybody done that yet? I haven't ever needed to go that far with any of them. You know, usually two or three spankings and it was over. I didn't have to go 70 times 7. But here's the thing. You get up the next morning and you hold it against them because you are not willing to let it go. How about getting up and giving your family a fresh start if they do the same thing 57 times? What does Jesus do to us? He gives us all the mulligans we want. Maybe we should give some mulligans to our kids and to our wife. So it means forgiving. You know, oftentimes, I've thought about this, and you guys have heard this before. We judge other people by their behavior, particularly our wife and even our kids. And we always judge ourselves by our good intentions. Do we not? If we reverse that, it might change everything. (laughs) Give us a whole other perspective. Number six, and we'll be done here pretty quick. Number six, leadership means sacrifice. It is inseparable from love. You show me a man or a a father who is willing to sacrifice his life. And I'll show you a father who loves much. Love and sacrifice are absolutely inseparable. Look what God did. Look what Jesus did. Until you're willing to sacrifice yourself for your wife and for your kids, there's no real love there. Love will cost you something. It doesn't come free. The more of yourself you give away, the deeper your love is for those people that you're living with in your house. You know, you show me a man who's too busy for his family, and I'll show you a man who will leave his wife for another woman tomorrow morning. Because he's given nothing up for those people. Shirley and I have 43 years of history. I've been asked by people, do you think there's any possibility you might commit adultery or leave her? Well, I guess in time anything could happen. But the answer is absolutely not. We have so much history together. We have so many things that we have gone through together. 
we are inseparable. You're not going to tear us apart with some petty little temptation. You've got to be kidding me. To throw away 43 years, the respect of my two children, all of our grandchildren, the devastation that would cause in our family for what? One night with some chick? You have got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, really, you've got to be kidding me. It's just not going to happen. There's too much at stake. And men who have not laid their life down for their families don't have that kind of a bond, and they can quickly leave. So love does require sacrifice. And the last thing, number seven, leadership is keeping God's word and your own word in your family. Make your word, make God's word count. And make your word count. You know, psychology today has become the new religion. The word of God, in a lot of ways, has lost its power in the secular world. And it's become what the psychologists say. You know how psychologists determine truth? They observe. They'll take a group of people, do a study for a few years. They'll observe behavior, and they'll say, we have observed this in this group of people. Therefore, the truth is this and such. But that's not true. All observation does is lets you know whether or not those being observed know the truth. It doesn't determine the truth. Only the word of God determines truth. That's why we have to go to it and not what, this is really old, Dr. Spock, but <laughs> what all these people say about relationships and what they should be like, I hear so much. Let's have great communication in our marriage. Well, Shirley and I don't communicate well all the time. She'll have conversations with me sometimes and I'm going, what in the world are you talking about? I have no idea where she went in that conversation. If it depends on communication, we're all dead in the water. You know, all of these different things that psychologists say we need, they would be nice. But what we need is the word of God and unconditional love for one another. Amen. Those are what I think are the seven things, the seven types of leadership that make for a good home and a good family. I'll tell you what, it, uh, you start doing these things in your family... And you are going to see a change in them like you've never seen before. We have that responsibility. And again, we don't do that legalistically. You know, it's not about performance. It comes out of a heart of compassion and love for them. Where we are willing to love them more than we love ourselves. And I'll tell you, that's how you build a real, real strong family. Inseparable. I remember the conversations that we used to have with our own children. Sometimes with my son, I would go in his bedroom at 8 o'clock at night and come out at midnight. And it would be iron sharpening iron. We'd be discussing the issues of life. I would be worn out by the end of that time. But there would be such richness that would take place. There's not a peer out there that could have separated him from me and the truth of God. And he proved that again and again and again. There's such power in this man. I'm telling you, such power. Why don't you stand up and let me pray with you. Father, we just come to you this afternoon. And I thank you, Lord God, for your goodness and for your mercy. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Father, that you give us what Jesus paid for and never what we deserve. Lord God, I pray that you will instill leadership into these men in a way that they have never seen it before, Father. 
that they will have understanding and wisdom and knowledge, that they will have the grace to walk in their role as the leaders of their family, as men, as husbands, as fathers, Lord God. Empower them to do what you have called them and created them to do, Father. I thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, Ken. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, thank you, Jim. That was good. And, man, a lot of statistics and just good wisdom from a fatherly figure. Amen. Okay, um, we are dismissed for now. Um, We will come back uh, beginning at 5. We're going to start serving the barbecue. Uh, You're welcome to come anywhere in between 5 and 6-ish or something. And then um, we will be here back in here at 7 o'clock for the meeting. Okay? Um, You... They've asked us that if you could leave the premises, that would be better because I believe they need to clean up in here and then also get ready for the barbecue. If uh, that's a problem, you could probably work your way around it and move where they need you to move, but just be sensitive to the work that still continues to go on, okay? I appreciate everyone being here and uh, just being a part of this men's advance. Um, I think it's going great, and again, we just appreciate you being here. We'll see you in a little bit.